This is Mark Martin, Pro Angler. You're listening to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Welcome to this episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Really excited today, we've got Aaron Nielsen on. Aaron is the founder and president of Global Hunting Resources and a strong hunting advocate that you can be found on uh, many of the social media channels. Aaron, how are you doing today? And I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I've been wanting to have you on the show for quite a while now, having watched Trijicon's World of Sports Afield and watching your website, Global Hunting Resources. Uh, tell me a little bit about you and, and how you got into hunting. Have you hunted all your life? Yeah, listen, man. I mean, uh, you know, my father was uh, was an avid hunter. He was more so an avid uh, waterfowler than he was a big game hunter. But he certainly got me into hunting, taught me to hunt as a young child. And, uh, you know, as I grew up, you know, I obviously took a, a great passion to it. You know, as I graduated from high school, I would I would guide hunts, deer and elk, mainly here in Colorado and bighorn sheep and mountain goats, too. Um, and then I would go to college in the uh, in the spring and summer sessions. And I did that for a number of years, and then in my early 20s, I got an outfitter's license here in Colorado and uh, started outfitting and just continued to have one thing in the hunting industry lead to another. All right, so this is something that really developed as a passion from the family and, and really grew just exponentially as you've matured and built quite the hunting portfolio. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it was just uh, it was kind of a natural progression from, you know, guiding to outfitting to, and then as I started doing more hunting, you know, around the world myself, uh, you know, obviously believed that I was in a position to start a, you know, worldwide hunting consulting company. And I did that. And yeah, it's just been that kind of natural progression from one to the other. And, you know, basically 20, what is it, 27 years later, that's, uh, that's what I'm still doing, trying to do most I can to, you know, stay in the hunting business and, you know, enjoy hunting as much as I possibly can get out. Tell me a little bit about global hunting resources and what, me as the sports person can do or, or expect to have happen when we call you and, and try to work with you guys for setting up from a, just a basic, I'm guessing like a whitetail hunt or something around the United States to something fairly exotic. Well, listen, man, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty standard, if you will, uh, as far as what, you know, one should hope to expect from an international booking agent. You know, we represent whether, like you say, whether it's domestic hunts or hunts around the world, you know, we represent those to our, you know, for the outfitters we work with and try to do it, you know, to the clients that we, uh, that we represent and, you know, hoping to try to find them, you know, everything that they're looking for in a hunt, obviously, you know, a whitetail is a whitetail, but you might have, you know, 20 different guys looking for 20 different types of whitetail hunts, whether it's different weapons or different price ranges, different sizes of, you know, hopefully the quality of deer they're looking for. And, you know, that holds true for, for all kinds of species around the world. So, you know, really what somebody should, should hope from, from us and, and any agent for that matter is that the agent that you're working with, you know, has knowledge and experience 
you know, with the game that you're hoping to pursue, you know, the location that you're wanting to go to, and, of course, the outfitters that they're working with. You know, what I see too often with, you know, a lot of agents, and, and they've certainly popped up in the last 10 or 15 years, is, you know, once one around every tree. But, you know, often you find that uh, a lot of these guys really are selling lots of stuff, but they don't really have the personal knowledge and experience, you know, dealing with those species or those areas or whatever the case may be. And, you know, it turns into a kind of a blind leading the blind situation. You know, I don't represent everything around the world. I've certainly done a lot of hunts around the world and, and I have a lot of experience, but I haven't done everything. And so I don't represent everything, but uh, I would tell you that that's, that's definitely what people should expect from us. And, and that's quite frankly, what they should expect from anybody, you know, doing what we do. Oh, fair enough. Now, hunting has seemed to have really ramped up. They say the numbers of hunters in the U.S. have slightly decreased, but the desire to get certain animals has seemed to have ramped up. Looking at certain continents using North America, let's start off with, what do you see as probably one of the highest demand but hardest to get their hands on? Would that be like the bighorn sheep? Yeah, certainly sheep in general. I think that's absolutely, uh, you know, the pinnacle of what a lot of people consider is, you know, the top end hunting here, at least on our continent in North America. And, you know, obviously those things are are difficult to get for, you know, two main reasons. One, if you're trying to draw a tag across the West, whether it be for Rocky Mountain or Desert Bighorns, I mean, they're extremely difficult to draw, as we're all aware. And then secondly, you know, if you're looking to... <laughs> So take another avenue, which is purchase a hunt. They're extremely expensive in many cases. So the opportunity is is not that limited if you have the budget to do it. If you don't, for many of us, yeah, the opportunity is pretty limited and you got to hope for some luck or, you know, something good to come along. Now you are in Colorado. That's, from what I understand, one of the hardest states to get drawn for, say, the bighorn sheep. Is that, am I, am I close? Well, no, not not actually. I mean, Colorado actually has one of the higher populations of bighorns in in the West and, and does give out a fair number of tags, in fact. And it's also one of, I think it's the only state in the West, uh, and, and don't hold me to this, but I believe it is, I think it's the only state in the West that actually offers, you know, just specific non-resident archery sheep tags, too. Uh, okay. There are a couple of those available. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, listen, I mean, the, the odds are long no matter what, whether it's, you know, goat or sheep or moose here as they are in most every state. But uh, there's certainly opportunity to be had here. It's just a matter of, you know, a guy's got to obviously, you know, spend time and energy and, and then still get greatly lucky. Yeah, I know there's a lot of talk when you attend something like the Dallas Safari Club show, the guys that are heavy into sheep hunting, they hit those booths hard, wanting to get good spots, good draws. They're an expensive habit. They're an expensive uh, endeavor to try and put on the Grand Slam of sheep. Yeah, no, they are. And if you look at the you know, vast majority of people that have, have been able to get, you know, all four sheep in North America have, you know, in some way, shape or form, you know, certainly had a, a bit of a financial ability to do so, especially when you start talking about stone sheep. Uh, unless you live in Canada, you know, as a, as a resident of the United States, you need to, you know, hire a guide and book an outfitted hunt. And most of those are $40,000 plus now, you know, even good doll sheep now are generally 20000 plus. And if you want to jump to Sonora for a, a desert bighorn, which I did a few years ago, I mean, they could be in excess of, you know, Sixty thousand to eighty thousand dollars. So yeah, I mean, you know, on, on the rare exceptions that a guy gets lucky and, and maybe you know gets a, a doll sheep or excuse me gets a bighorn sheep and a, a Rocky Mountain and a desert bighorn here in here in the state. If you're going to go for all four of them, you're at some point going to have to pony up the money. There's just no doubt about it. Figures that a lot of people just can't even comprehend when you see the folks that have done several of those grand slams. It always amazes. Yeah, yeah. Listen, and, and, and they're great accomplishments. And, and regardless of whether or not you have the money to do it, you still have to go and do the hunts. And, 
Oh, you know, sure. I don't care how much money you pay for a stone sheep hunt. It's still a arduous, physically demanding, tough hunt. And so, you know, they have the advantage, those folks do, of being able to, to afford the opportunity. But you know, if they want to be successful, they still have to go and earn that. Yeah, and the neat thing is if you go to your website, for anybody listening, you go to huntghr.com. There's a tab on videos. And the second video down is, I believe, your stone sheep. Yeah, that's correct. It's pretty interesting to watch as you get the idea of what it's like for the work you've put in to get that you know it's not just you buy your tag you fly to the top of the hill and it's done you you work to get up there well that's true you know as you do in most honey got to earn like i say you can buy the opportunity but you know at the end of the day you're going to have to earn the success and uh, certainly when it comes to sheep hunting oftentimes it you know it is physical it's long arduous you know days and you know sleeping in tents and eating crappy food and so on and so forth but you know if you love the wilderness and you love the hunting and you love the opportunity to be out there i mean that's what we're really all doing like i say no matter how much money somebody has you know to do these things or not do them i mean when they do get the opportunity they still got to go and enjoy it and earn it uh, you know that's what I love about about being able to do some of these things on on occasion. I don't I'm not fortunate enough to have you know some of the means that some of my clients do, but I have also been fortunate to to do some of it you know over over time and savings and that sort of thing. And man, you gotta you know you gotta enjoy it when you get the chance. And and if you do get the chance, you should certainly take the opportunity. You have quite the staff behind you that work with you at uh, Global Hunting Resources. You know they're not just guys that are sitting there taking phone orders and guessing what's going on. A lot of these guys, several of them I know, and they spend a lot of time out in the field every year. Some spend more time out in the field than they actually spend at home. Yeah, listen, that's right. And I mean, you know, if, if you're trying to be an agent, you're really trying to be, a, you know, a jack of all trades, an expert in many different areas and fields. And, you know, whether it's Canada or Alaska or South America, Argentina, Africa, Australia, New Zealand, go on down the list. I mean, there's so many things that you're trying to, you know, be quote unquote an expert in. And so you have to have, in my opinion, to be a good agent, you have to have that knowledge and experience in the places that you're representing. Otherwise, you're, you're literally selling a product to somebody that you know really not much more about than they do. Correct. And that's what's neat to see is the just background of and the skill level that you've got with the people that, that work with you and for you. So it's a fantastic testament to what Global Hunting Resources can do for you. Yeah, listen, and we don't do, you know, we don't do cold calling, you know, we don't do any of that sort of stuff. Obviously, we have, you know, different marketing vehicles that we, you know, use to try to continue to get uh, get our name out there. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, you know, once we've, once we've you know, laid that bait in the water, if you will, I mean, you know, guys are, are emailing and contacting us and, and, you know, asking for, you know, certain items or certain specific hunts or trips or whatever it may be. And, and listen, and I'll be the first to tell you, uh, you know, if a guy, you know, inquires about something that I'm just really not that familiar with, I'll tell him straight away, you know, and oftentimes I'll refer him to other people that I, that I know, but you know, if we've got it, we're going to do a good job to get you everything you're looking for and, you know, hopefully have a successful hunt and take it from there. Well, and that's all you can ask for is, is the honesty to back it up and say, I'm going to give you a good trip, the best I can provide. Or like you just said, that's not what I'm familiar with, but I can tell you who is. Contact this person. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. When we look out here between the big game hunting, the wing shooting and the fishing that Global Hunting Resources can provide, I, I want to jump a little bit over to Trujicon's World of Sports Afield. Tell me a okay. little bit about hosting that show and tell me a little bit about what you've learned being a host of a TV show. It's not as, is it as glamorous as it looks? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
but listen, it is very enjoyable. And uh, I've been doing it for hosting that show, I guess, for five or six years now. You know, it's actually the show is owned by Safari Classic, which is based out of Dallas, Texas. They actually own this show. They own Tracks Across Africa and Hornady's Dark and Dangerous, uh, as they're calling it. But uh, anyway, and they've been doing those, you know, a, a fair number of those for years. So, you know, they hired me five or six years ago to host the show. You know, listen, I was traveling around the world and hunting anyway. And so it kind of made a, a good fit. But, you know, to be very frank with you, my real reason for doing it, not because I want to see my mug on TV, but it now offers me, you know, with Global Hunting Resources, an additional marketing vehicle. Sure. You know, I'm on I'm on television six months a year, three times a week. And so that's really what it was about. I mean, don't get me wrong, I get I get paid to do the show and, and anybody who's, you know, doing those sort of things, if they're not, I think they're I think they're giving away their time and energy like they you know, you wouldn't do anything else for free. You should always work for, to get paid. But you know, the money that I get paid is you know, it's pretty insignificant. I'm not to, that doesn't mean that I'm not happy with it. I am, but it, it was never the reason for doing it. It was, you know, the fact that I was already doing the hunts. I love doing it. You know, it just made another opportunity for me to promote my real business, which is Global Hunting Resources. Which is the best you can ask for is it's a live commercial for you, for what Aaron can do and, and your your services. So it's a fun That's show correct. to watch. Uh, it's always enjoyable. The locations, bar none, the, the videography and the the locations are really going to catch somebody's eye. Even if hunting is something you like, but maybe you never thought you wanted to go to Africa or some of these other locations, this will really get you amped up to watch. They're, they're just really great scenes and videography as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, listen, and that's kind of the uh, you know the idea of the show. You know, why it's called the of the Sports of Field, obviously, is, you know, that we are doing, you know, more than just, you know, North American or Western big game hunting or you know, Midwest whitetails. I mean, we're traveling, you know, around the world. Now we still enjoy doing, and we do a lot of it, you know, deer and elk and antelope and that sort of thing, you know, locally, but at the same time, you know, we do Alaska and Canada and Africa and everything else, you know, just because, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to offer something else to the viewing public besides, you know, the same, you know, deer and turkeys that you see pretty often. Yeah, that's fantastic. Like I said, the exotics or what are exotics to us might be Africa, Europe, New Zealand, really a right. showcase for folks who might not even think or even understand that a planes game, you know, maybe the dangerous big game is out of your price range. But I think people would be really surprised at what a good planes game safari hunt with a large number of animals they could take would cost. In, in many cases, they can do a, a very nice planes game hunt for less than the cost of an elk hunt. That's exactly right. That is 100% right. And I, and I think that if people would, you know, were interested and, and wanted to look into that, I think they would find that those opportunities certainly exist, you know, to go to a foreign place and experience something, you know, that you haven't seen before or maybe done before, and you can do it for what is actually a pretty reasonable price. Yeah, I, I guess it's been five years now, and I've said this in other shows, I hunted in uh, Zimbabwe. Had mm-hmm. never, went all by myself, the place where I was hunting, had a fantastic time, was extremely lucky on the property that I hunted and took nine animals in seven days it was an absolute blast i can't say enough about the experience of learning about the culture learning about the folks that live there and and seeing the similarities of a hunting culture that we share even though we might speak a different language the just the love of the animals and the ability and the desire to be stewards of the the environment and hunt with a conservation in mind and take 
the older animals and make sure that those come out. I went over there and took a giraffe, but in taking that giraffe, I didn't set out to be taking that one. He was just an extremely old giraffe that needed to come out of the herd. He was going to pass away, be, be harvested, whether I took him or not. And so we happened to, to stumble upon him. Once we came upon him, he just presented the perfect shot and I took it. And so it was an amazing hunt, awesome experience. And that's kind of where I wanted to go as well as, as we look at all these things that we put out there as hunters on social media, it's the lions, the elephants, and the giraffes that really seem to drive the anti-hunters insane. Very true. And you're currently, uh, you post the other day and caught a tongue lashing from some folks that generally are either in, but they're either in California or England. England seems to have a lot yes. of folks that like to really lose their mind over a giraffe. That's right. Yeah, listen, the UK is, uh, you know, they're very liberal, they're very left-leaning, and of course they're, you know, generally down on, on things like that. I mean, you, you kind of hit it on the head, you know, my issue has been, you know, the elephants that I've shot, certainly all the African lions that I've shot, and then on occasion the giraffes, of course, too. But, uh, you know, honestly, Jason, I've been dealing with this for, for years and years and years. You know, not long before all this stuff became popular on social media, I was getting, you know, lots of, you know, death threat emails and things like that but i just really don't pay it any attention i mean i know a lot of people try to make it you know they want to make it into drama and and use it as another avenue that they're posting something about you know look what's happening to me but the truth is you know it's pretty harmless i mean not to say that people should have to deal with it or you know that i like it and it's certainly unfortunate that many of those people out there have that that sort of attitude which and all it comes from is two things jason their 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 anti-hunting sentiment and their horrible behavior about it is simply from emotion and lack of knowledge Mm -hmm. and that's really all that it is and of course once in a while you'll find one in fact i was literally just facebook messaging with a lady today that she started off on that uh, on that post you know really ranting and raving and calling me names and now she's you know asking questions I mean legitimate questions I will once in a while engage with people when they're being legitimate the problem is you know I, I can't educate these people one at a time I mean I wish right. they would all read the same shit that I post at the same <laughs> time but unfortunately it, you know it's hard to do but you know that's uh, it, it's just uh, you know social media has been a has been a real for as much as it's been beneficial to all of us and including you know those of us in the hunting industry to agree to a degree. I think at the same time, it's been, you know, the biggest poison pill that the hunting industry has ever had to deal with. And, and I think that has come along you know, with the Cecil the Lion incident and other things. I mean, now it's so much more visible to people that may not like it or may, you know, not agree with it for whatever reason than it was obviously 10, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, I, I think people knew some of this stuff was going on, but I don't think they really, you know, it's kind of like that out of sight, out of mind. Right. But now that people are slapping, you know, dead giraffe photographs up and then they get shared and people around the world see them, I mean, it, it elicits an emotional response that, you know, we never had to deal with uh, until the last five, six, seven years. Most of those animals, the only exposure the folks have to them is through a zoo. They see one or two giraffe in a zoo maybe once a year. Like many of us that had never been to Africa, you tend to imagine it as a Disney film or as the film that you see of Kenya, of these large open plains, and you just think, oh wow, all of Africa must look like this, all of Sub-Sahara Africa. When you get over there, you realize, oh yeah, there's people that live here. This is, you know, completely populated. It, it's not a Disney film. There's not a bunch of animals just having a good time hanging out together. Yeah, that's right. Listen, 
listen, Simba and Pumbaa in Africa's real life are not buddies, my friend. <laughs> They're not dancing, you know, to Kumbaya. You know, when Simba gets a chance, he's killing Pumbaa quickly <laughs> and violently, you know, and that's the reality of it. And, and that's the real problem with these iconic, you know, African species, if you will, is that, you know, uh, and, and of course, you know, I call it the Disney syndrome. A lot of people do. I mean, you know, they, they've tied names and human emotions and these things to these animals. And, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. And and I think people, you know, that are that are so wrapped up in the emotion, they, they, they fail to remember some very simple, you know, things in, in nature. Number one, you know, none of us, including them, can grant these animals eternal life, period. It does not happen. I mean, an elephant is going to die. A lion is going to die. A giraffe is going to die. But in doing so, if we can selectively harvest the appropriate animals and generate a large amount of revenue and provide employment opportunities and some of these things and do it at an at a you know at a hunting level at a conservation hunting level that's not detriment to the species if they would ever just go there experience it understand it see it and learn it many of them would have a much different perspective on it but none of that happens they watch you know goofballs like Jimmy Kimmel a grown man crying on TV you know over a lion that shot and it just it ruins everybody's emotions rampant and that's what we end up yep and i would much and you know this as well i would much rather see any animal die at the hands of a well-placed arrow or bullet versus snare no oh listen i mean i've my friend i've caught animals and snares i've caught snare poachers i've seen it all say it's a horrible it's a horrible death you know when those things and, and sometimes buffalo and elephants are strong enough elephants obviously and buffalo too they're strong enough to break you know break those uh, uh snare wires and you know they'll have those things dragging around wrapped around their leg, their head, their neck. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's, that's exactly right. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, the, the hunters, you know, get the bad rap for what they think is going on in Africa when the truth is what's going on in Africa is the Africans themselves are destroying their entire continent, including all the wildlife and all the wildlife habitat. And, and if people if people really want to do something to help protect the wildlife in a place like Africa, they should be working with the people there to stop the negative things they're doing, stop working with the Chinese. You know, stop letting the Chinese completely destroy the continent by taking every natural resource they can find. But, you know, a lot of these places are third world countries. Everybody's very poor. Those that are not are very greedy. And they're allowing, you know, horrible things to go on there that the world doesn't see. But yet the hunters who post a few photographs on Facebook, they're the ones they're blamed for you know, the, the uh, you know, suspected, you know, just rampant killing of all the wildlife, which is completely erroneous. I've got to believe if you take these Jimmy Kimmels, all the folks that raised up the IR and they donated, even if they didn't want to go hunting, if they contacted any of, my guess is if they contacted any of the outfitters that you know, that I know, that anybody else knows, and said, I only want this money to go to poaching patrols, the outfitter would be more than happy to get outfits and name them the Jimmy Kimmel poaching patrol or whatever, you know, they gladly use that for anything to get out there and help to stop these poachers because everybody knows that that is just an absolute detriment. There is generally no love loss between the locals and the lions. They don't like them there for the most part. That's right. No, listen, what you say is absolutely true. I mean, uh, most of the people over there, the outfitters, 
the hunters included, are very much about wanting to, you know, protect the habitat and the wildlife. I mean, if Jimmy Kimmel and all his wealthy buddies were to get together and do what you suggested, the outfitters there would do backflips. They would be more than willing to work with them in the in the continued protection of the habitat and the wildlife because they, more than anybody, you know, live there, grew up there, love the wildlife. They, they, they hate to see what's going on in some places. But, you know, again, it's, it's you know, listen, man, uh, Jason, we all know this. It's easier to point fingers and jump up and down and scream than it is to actually get involved and help fix a problem. Right. A few minutes of TV time costs that person nothing. Writing a check can hurt them, you know, as far as economically or somebody ties it back to, oh, you're helping hunters. Well, no, I'm helping poaching patrols. And they, it can get turned all sorts of ways and they just, it's too easy to go that route. They they just don't do it. That's right. And, and you know, what I think people that are listening to your show here, you know, need to start to realize and understand is that, you know, we as hunters are all one big group. I mean, yeah, we're going to have some squabbles internally over different things from time to time and but you know, I, I think what I think what a lot of people here in, in the United States are missing is, you know, what you're seeing going on in Africa right now is a snap photo of what could happen here in 20, 30, 40 years. You know, if we if we don't support and try to help and get that problem fixed, and I don't mean from a you know the entire poaching law. I'm talking about you know the attacks, the you know the the downgrading of what hunting truly is and what it does benefit to wildlife. I think that if everybody doesn't start to understand that. You know, they're starting with Africa with, you know, the iconic African lions and leopards and elephants and blah, blah, blah. But my friend, eventually when they get all those, they're going to move on to something else. And, and it is eventually going to be your deer and your turkey and your antelope and, and everything else. And so, unfortunately, I think a lot of people that don't travel internationally and don't have an interest in it think, well, you know, that's not my problem. I don't care. You know, I can still go hunt my deer. Well, that that's true right now, but it may not be true for your grandkids. I, I think if people would, you know, definitely wake up to that issue and start to understand that, you know, you need to start taking on this, you know, this fight at every level, not just, not just in Africa. Right. And They've already started here in North America. Look at what happened in Vancouver with the Bears, or was right. it Alberta? Somewhere? No, no, no. Vancouver. It's, it's, it's British Columbia. Or British, British Columbia. Columbia. Yes. Yes. Three, three or four That's thousand right. people signed a petition. Most of them out of the Vancouver area of British Columbia. That's right. And they, they absolutely, most likely none of them that actually lived around bears, and they stopped it dead. Yeah, and, and you know, what they've stopped dead is is the fact that the, the bad thing about, you know, that sort of thing there, you're right, it was a, it was a ballot issue. You know, listen, just like we had here in Colorado 25 years ago, the reason we no longer have bear hunting with, bring bear hunting with baited, uh, you know, with baits and, and dogs is because it went to a public vote. And of course, you know, they, they cried all kinds of human sentiment on there, public voted to, you know, to vote it down, to ban it. Well, the problem with that is, listen, if you're going to have game and fish departments that are supposed to be in control of, of the management of the resource, and they have biologists that are supposedly professionally educated and trained to do this, and we're not allowing these people to do their jobs, what's the point of having them? But exactly. but but the real issue is that, again, the bear in British Columbia with them outlawing grizzly bear hunting this year was just simply nothing more than a human emotion. And, you know, we've got to try to find a way to, what I, listen, you're never going to change the human emotion, Jason. You're never going to change people's, you know, completely. What, what I think we need to try to do in, in the states is try to petition the legislatures and, and our representatives and such, such to make it that these sort of things can't go to a public vote. You know, back to what I said a minute ago, which is, if you have 
have biologists, you have game and fish departments, you have all these quote unquote experts that are re- that are are responsible for the you know wildlife management, then they should be allowed to do their jobs and make the decisions, not the public. The public doesn't get to vote on what the speed limit is. The public shouldn't be able to vote on whether or not you know a certain uh, hunting management tool should be ethical or legal. That's just ridiculous. What in my opinion, what we have to fix. I agree. It's it's interesting. If you want to put that out to a vote, watch what happens. Like you say, when you put out to a vote, say for a speed limit or pay raise for Congress or, or anything, you know, there's certain things That's that right. don't get voted on. There's a reason for that because emotion can a lot of times come into play more than logic. We have grizzly bears. Canada definitely has grizzly bears. Now, maybe there was an issue with some outfitters not cleaning out the way they maybe should have. That's for the wildlife management areas up in Canada to deal with. But that shouldn't shut down a a whole hunting season when, you know, growing up in Michigan where I live now, I can remember maybe a decade, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, Ontario shut down spring bear hunting, said there wasn't enough bears. Well, it got to a point where there was so many bears, they had to open it up. And I, I think you can get two now, one in the spring and one in the in the fall, because there's so many bears. Well, and, and, and listen, and your, your point really is, you know, just what we've been discussing, which is that, you know, that, that decision to ban, you know, whether it's whether it's clothes hunting altogether or, or change, you know, ways that... Uh, I mean, the reason we always had spring bear hunting, you know, with bait and hounds here in Colorado was because it was an effective management tool to manage the bear population. That's why we now have, I mean, man, we are just, this state in some places, there's so many bears, they're bumping into each other. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's because the one of the management tools was taken away from the game and fish department to effectively manage the resource. And like I say, I, I think people are spending too much time on trying to, you know, change people's emotions. And, and educate and you know listen at the end of the day you're not going to stop those people from it, it, it's like trying to change me into a liberal it's never going to happen so don't even try but what i think we could do is that you know like i say in, in some cases you know you go to the legislature go to these things i mean uh, you know colorado you know parks and wildlife should have the ultimate authority to manage the wildlife without having to worry about something like mountain lion hunting go to and go into a public vote and it publicly gets vote down simply out of human emotion if that's even remotely what you call wildlife management in this state or any other then there's just no sense in even having these wildlife departments just let the public decide what's going to happen it's just nonsense i agree look at california they've either want to or are bringing in paid hunters to control the mountain lion population so instead of bringing okay. in money to the coffers of the game management for the state of California to better the game management, they're paying money out to reduce a species that hunters would gladly pay. And it just makes absolutely no sense. Well, no, that's true. And oftentimes, as you know, I mean, when you let government get in control of anything, I mean, the decisions they make are, you know, <laughs> head scratchers from the get go. But, uh, you know, I mean, listen, like I say that aside, I mean, it's just, um, you know, I think we as a, as a group, you know, can and, and should and try to look at, you know, try to look at the big picture of things. And I mean, listen, California right now is trying to pass the, you know, pass the bill to not allow any importation of big five species into their state. I mean, so, you know, again, that's going to be all based on human emotion. You're going to tell just like, just like a person that lives in California can go to Nevada and shoot a mountain lion legally on a hunt. And then it's, it's illegal for them to bring the mountain lion back into the state of California. That is absurd. That's very un-American, if you ask me. That's, well, that's exactly right. And, And people are going to continue to try to erode our 
or opportunities. And, and you hear this too often with hunters. I think, again, hunters are, uh, I think it's just a, it's the normal use of the word, but, you know, people always say, well, we're fighting for our hunting rights. Well, listen, with the exception of very few states like Idaho, hunting is not a right. It's a privilege. That's why, the, that's why that privilege can be taken away. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the United States Constitution does not say anywhere in there about your right to hunt, you know, and so, you know, these things are going to continue to be eliminated and eroded away, you know, if we rely on, on feelings like that, which is, well, it's my right to hunt. Well, no, it's really not. That's why they can take away your driver's license just like they can take away your hunting license, you know. So hopefully people can understand that and start to, you know, uh, you know, feel like that it would be best if we would all band together on those sort of issues rather than, you know, trying to, uh, in some time, in some places, you know, separate or just mix up or think, well, that's not really my concern because I don't care to do that. Yeah, and I believe a lot of hunters get very empathetic to what they can do with the idea that, well, somebody else will do it and not realize that it takes five minutes at most to write your senator or your congressperson and let them know how you feel on an issue. And that carries a lot of weight. You know, there's a great thing called Google. You Google your representative's names and you can find their email address really quick. And those emails do help. So contact Fish Game, contact your governor. It doesn't have to be something that you spend hours and hours a day doing very little quick messages here and there to let them know don't don't think that i'll just leave it to the next person to do you need to do your part as well yeah good point Good point. Now, going back to Trishicon's World of Sports Afield, you guys are on, new episodes are on Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Sportsman's Channel. Tell us a little bit about what we're going to see this season. Jeez, I hope I can remember that. I just was down, uh, I was in Texas about a month ago. We were filming, you know, basically all the new show openings and, you know, some of the tips and, you know, commercial stuff, that sort of thing. You know, listen, I've got, you know, several hunts on there, obviously. Uh, most of my stuff this year is North America. I do have a pretty cool episode in which I shoot my first 400-inch bull elk that I've ever killed. I've killed lots of elk and, and killed lots of big bulls, but I've always wanted to kill one over 400 and finally got one. So that'll be on. What several state was that in? Shows, but uh, Arizona. Oh, okay. Arizona. So you drew, you got a coveted Arizona tag. Well, I hunted on, um, I hunted on the Navajo Indian Reservation. Okay. And purchased the tag and and went on the hunt with a, you know, obviously with a native guide who uh, was a was a great guy, had a ran a great operation, and um, you know knew of this bull and and you know killed him first day actually, so it was it was fabulous. But you know the rest of the the rest of the episodes, um, you know we've got like I said we've got several other North American stuff, we've got you know brown bear, we've got some sheep hunting on there, I know we've got some Africa stuff, a little bit of uh, a little bit of everything as we as we always do um you know trying to you know spur you know spread it out over uh you know different opportunities different places around the world that we like to uh you know like to hunt and film and obviously you know our viewership i think is as, as a lots of shows are you know varied you know a lot of the people know what to expect from our show so that's why they watch it or you know and some people watch uh you know lee and tiffany's show because they know it's going to be you know all white tails and turkey for the most part and they love that so you know it's just offering something a little bit different to the viewer that's all that's great now thinking back over it, tell the listeners a little bit what's one of the hunts you've done over the last few years for the show that really sticks out in your memory I think uh, I think you mentioned it already. My stone sheep hunt was certainly uh, a highlight for me in my hunting, you know, endeavors over the years. I was lucky enough to shoot an absolutely giant ram, but a lot of you know a lot of hardship and a long hunt, you know, a lot of hard days, and and had a very good friend of mine with me that was there filming, and so you know I think a lot of that was definitely one of them. You know, I've gotten asked, you know, obviously some of your standard questions over the years. You know, what's your favorite animal? You know, what's your you know this that the other out? And, and so I'll just kind of give you a couple of those. 
I'll tell you what I you know get asked a lot. Sure. Um, sometimes people ask me what's your what's your greatest adventure you know you've ever been on, and I'll tell you without any question, polar bear hunting. I was I was fortunate enough to do that uh, a number of years ago, and you know just seeing wild polar bears in the wild and being in that environment was was pretty spectacular. Uh, I was lucky enough to shoot a very big polar bear, and so that was also you know <laughs> a, a big highlight. But the entire you know being out there with the Inuits and on the back ice, and, yeah, it was pretty spectacular. It, it was definitely an experience I will never forget. How many days um, do you spend out you know, there? You know, listen, man, I, I I got very lucky and shot a big bear on the very first day. So I was actually only out there, you know, I was actually out there for three days. Yeah, got lucky. I mean, you know, sometimes it goes that way and, and, and smacked a big one on day one. So that works. very pleased. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, um, you know, other than that, you know, my favorite animal in the world to hunt is without any question the African lion. Uh, my favorite North American animal is, is a big bull elk. Uh, I just love, I have a huge passion for bull elk. And so I do that as much as I can. And, and uh, you know, I still enjoy, you know, guiding if I get an opportunity. And, you know, I did lots of that over the years. But, uh, you know, those two, those two animals are probably the the ones i would pursue the most if i if i had the opportunity and the finances to do it oh fantastic well you know aaron i can't thank you enough for the time you've given me today and given to the listeners if somebody wanted to contact you is it the best way to just go to huntghr.com and do the contact us from there yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I'll give you my. Uh, I'll have to give you my my email address, which is generally the best way to get a hold of me. My my email is global hunts h u n t s. So it's global hunts at aol dot com. Fantastic, and I'll have this as well as your website and links to the different things in the show notes. So anybody that's listening, just go to the show notes here. You can get Aaron's email address uh, as well as any of the links to his websites so that he can, you can contact him or any of the folks when you go on his meet his staff. Like I said, I've known several of them and they're just a plethora of information and a bunch of good folks. So Aaron, I really appreciate your time and I hope you have a great day. I, again, I can't thank you enough for the, taking the time to talk with us. No, you bet. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. I hope I didn't talk your ear off. And uh, if I can help you with anything in the future, please let me know. I will do. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Come early spring, it's getting green. Fisher on the bed. And hear those turkeys gobble. Ringing in my head. The winter rides bass boat. Here comes another year. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Oh, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake, flipping jigs in Carolina rigs, from early morning till real late. Bonfires on Creek Bank, kick back a couple beers. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's does until you know winter's on the way. 
Brushing blinds and deer stands The fever starts to creep Fill our freezers full of ducks, lots of tender deer Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we command the outdoors Yeah, we command the outdoors So grab your guns shells, boys Put on your camouflage Cause we command the outdoors around here We command the outdoors